Welcome to today's edition of the Rush 24-7 Podcast. What a week. What what an incredible week. I mean, from beginning to end. And it's still going. And there is still winning that's happening today. Just incredible. And I'm gonna tell you something, folks. One of the things I'm I'm gratified about now, you know, I don't I don't like to brag. And I don't like to say notice me, but everything happening to the Democrat Party today, if you go back and you look at excerpts of the award-winning broadcast, go to RushLimbaugh.com, you'll find that I predicted this implosion of the Democrat Party. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, you get people writing, well, what happened to Democrats this week? This is unserious. It's worse than unserious. What happened to the Democrat Party is... That they have lost their entire moral foundation. <coughs> Excuse me, I got a cold coming on here, and uh, I'm not going to worry about hitting the cough switch as often as they just just bear with me here. I mean, they they have lost their entire moral foundation, and they lost it four years ago. This is what happens. Let this be a lesson to you, folks, in your personal life. With this, what happens when you become consumed with hatred? Hatred is a poison. It destroys you. Uh, because hatred can never be requited. Hatred can never be rewarded. Hatred can never make you happy. Hatred means you're requiring on something painful or bad to happen to other people. And that's just not the way to happiness. That's not the route uh, to success of any kind. And it's where the Democrat Party is. And I'll break this down and I'll explain it in great, great detail as the program unfolds. Our telephone number, if you want to be with us today, is 800-282-2882. The email address, lrushbow at eibnet.us. So the last time uh, I was here and we were together was Monday. And I have to tell you, it feels like it's been two weeks with everything that has happened since then. But it hasn't. It's it's just it's just been one week. And the last thing that I did on Monday was inform all of you of a medical diagnosis, advanced lung cancer. And I told you Monday that I really wished that I could not announce it because I don't like making things about me. And I promised you that I was not going to live every aspect of this on the air. Millions of you have been through it. It's nothing that millions of Americans aren't experiencing or haven't experienced, so you don't need me sharing all of the details with you. And I wouldn't want to do it anyway because there's a lot of factors involved, uh, including privacy and distraction. Just know... And by the way, folks, I, I don't know really, I'm going to be hopscotching through uh, much of this first hour as thoughts erupt in my fertile gray cells. I don't have anything written here. I don't have any monologues scripted. I, don't, I haven't made any notes to make sure that I don't forget anything because I'm not worried about forgetting anything. I'm very confident that I'm going to get everything said here today that I want to say. Uh, despite living in the public eye, I really am a private person for just a host of reasons, most of which I'm, that's just who I am. I'm not 
I want whatever I'm known for to speak for itself during these three hours and uh, and some other thing. But I but you know I, I'm I'm not interested in being in the news all the time for whatever reason. Of course, I can't help it. I am in the news all the time, but it's not something I seek. Nevertheless, it has been one of the biggest blessings. You know, I understand now when what Lou Gehrig, when he was diagnosed with ALS in the 1920s, he's announcing his retirement. This after he has been the Iron Man. He's played in all these consecutive games that the record wasn't broken until Cal Ripken Jr. came along. And he's standing at home playing at Yankee Stadium. And he said, after having announced and the world knew that he had ALS, everybody knew what it was. That it was fatal and that there was no chance of recovery. And there still isn't, by the way. And Lou Gehrig said, today I consider myself the luckiest man on earth. I've seen that black and white film replayed numerous times in my life. And don't misunderstand, I know he meant it. But the first two or three times I heard it, I had trouble processing. How in the world can anybody feel lucky after having been told that you have a disease from which there is no recovery and that it's fast? And even though I... There was a part of me that, okay, this is something that famous people are supposed to say. He's been very successful in life. He was uniquely talented to play baseball and all that. And I thought, okay, clearly there is a portion of Lou Lou Gehrig that thinks he has to say this. And now I know that's all wrong. Now I know that there was nothing forced or phony or public relations related about it. Because I feel the same way. I cannot, I cannot thank all of the people that I have heard from since Monday, and they are still getting hold of me. There are people, I had no idea they knew how to get hold of me. Uh, and the, the sentiments, the, the thoughts they're expressing are just incredibly nice and supportive and to have this kind of support uh, and to know it to be fully aware of it yeah it does make me one of the luckiest people alive and I I'm trying to respond to everybody I haven't even made a dent in it I haven't had a whole lot of time to but I've I've I'm going to try some people have written, <coughs> excuse me, three or four times. And other people are suggesting, hey, I know this treatment, I know this hospital, I know this treatment place you need to call it. I thank you for all of that. I just am inundated with so much love and support, more than more than I ever knew. And it's it's really true. When I sit here, think about how lucky I am that all this has happened to me. Now, I know many of you want to know the story of the State of the Union address on Tuesday night and how that all happened. And someday, I hope to be able to tell you the entire story. 
I can't tell you the entire story now without divulging uh, medical details that I frankly don't want to give uh, people an opportunity to start investigating and writing about and pronouncing uh, opinions and this kind of thing. People know enough about about what I have. It's, it's late stage. It's uh, advanced lung cancer. But there's good news associated with the diagnosis and the treatment. So we are where I am to have the first procedure that will set up the beginning of treatment. This is Tuesday. And it is scheduled for 5 o'clock in the afternoon. We took no clothes, Catherine and I. We just, we went Grub City with shorts, T-shirts. I mean, the whole week is going to be in the hospital. There's no reason to take a coat and tie. There's no reason to uh, pack a whole bunch of stuff that you're never going to use. Light was the byword. The procedure was going to be 5 o'clock in the afternoon. have to show up for it at 12 noon to do the prep, talk to the doctors, and so forth. 9 a.m. Phone rings. I've got the number in my address book, so it's the White House. So I answered the phone, and they said, can you you hold for President Trump? I said, yes. Rush! Rush, how you doing, buddy? Great to hear from you. Hey, look, what are you doing later today? I said, well, I have a serious medical procedure that's going to start all this at 5 o'clock. Well, look, what's the doctor's name? I want to call him and have him delay it for a couple days because I need you down here tonight. I said, "Uh, Mr. President, um... I'm 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 stunned. He's, he said, "Look, your health comes first. There's no question. But 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 can't they just do half of what they're going to do and then and then send you down here? I mean, what, it, but believe me, you don't want to miss this. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. You don't want to miss this. Well, I don't know what's up. I mean, I, he told me that he was going to. He wanted me to be his guest at the State of the Union. He was going to uh, mention my name, recognize me. Hung up the phone, and for the next hour and a half. I agonized. I literally agonized over what to do. Catherine and I are both sitting in a hotel room. As time is marching on, we're faced with the possibility of having to ask an entire medical team to broom their schedule and reschedule to accommodate this. But we haven't told them yet. We're discussing the logistics. Now, there's something else. Uh, earlier that day, I had sent EIB-1 to take my nieces from New York to Cape Girardeau. And it wasn't going to be available to me until 4.30 in the afternoon. So I'm putting that in the equation. I mean, there's no way to even get there, even if I want to. Unless we charter, we could, all, we could do that. But no clothes, no shirt, no tie. No socks. I mean, not no dress shoes. Zip, zero, nada. Catherine's saying, you've got to do that. You can't not do this. I said, how are we going to do it? She said, leave it to me. Hour and a half later, called the president back. Tried to tell him no. Remember, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. I just, he has told me. By the way, I should, he has told me that he's going to present me with the Presidential Medal of Freedom, but a couple weeks from now in the Oval Office. I had no idea at this point 
on Tuesday morning this was going to happen, State of the Union. And he didn't tell me during all these phone calls. So I called him back around 1030 intending to be as persuasive as I could to thank him and just say that, that there was too much here that, to overcome to get down there, including the medical schedule, the doctors and everything that had been. And this this story, if, if I could, and someday I'm going to be able to give you every detail here. But for people that do not know Donald Trump, this story will explain him, his essence, his attitude toward life. There simply is nothing you can't do. There's nothing that can't be done, and there's not a single obstacle that can't be dealt with. And it's not even hard. It's not even... He didn't have to stop and think for a moment about this. Now, granted, he's got presidential power. If he wants to clear us into Reagan National, if he wants to send a car for us and get us from the airport to the... He can do all of that. But he was, but and he did, and he was willing. But but the fact was that this is what he wanted, but not for him. You see, it was for me, and he wasn't going to let me talk myself out of it. Part of me is not wanting to create any problems for him. I mean, he's got so many more important things to do than deal with logistics. And I told him, I said, you think I'm going to do it? I got people here. What do you mean? I'm going to call a guy here in an hour. All this will be done. All you got to do is just find a way to get with the, get the clothes. So Catherine, this was just, this was amazing too. Catherine got in gear. And again, without divulging too much in about, we went and met the doctor. We kept the appointment at noon to discuss what was going to happen sign the papers, get as much of the procedure out of the way as we could, and then to tell the doctor, hey, I have been uh, summoned to Washington. It, can, can this be moved to tomorrow? Sure. It's not a problem. In fact, show up at 5.30 tomorrow morning before anybody else gets here. We'll get it started. We'll get it... Ro-. Everybody was just as cooperative helpful as they could be. We get back from the meeting with the doctors about two hours, and in our hotel room is 15 sport coats, different sizes, four or five different ties, a bunch of shirts, different sizes. And all I had to do was try on various things and find an outfit that fit. I did have, take it back, I did have a pair of slacks because it was cold where we went. So I wasn't wearing sets and shorts with me, but I did wear slacks. And the slacks come from a suit. But, I mean, we were looking at even sending the plane down to Florida to get my suit and a tie. But I couldn't because it was on the way to Missouri. So, anyway, Catherine arranged for a bunch of stuff to be delivered from local retail outlets, including for her. She had nothing either. Nothing that would be suitable for the house chamber. Pardon me? Yeah, it was stuff off the road. What are you going to do? There's no time for a tailor. There's no time for a seamstress. Yeah, that's why there was 15 different sport coats Mr. Snurdly, it's why there are four or five different shirts, different neck sizes, sleeve lengths. I told him what I wear, but you never know. From, from manufacturer to manufacturer, brand to brand, nothing's consistent in clothes. 
in there was only one of the of the whatever it was, ten or fifteen, only one that fit. Only one that I could button. The sleeve length was perfect, but only one that I could button. What do you mean? You're used you're used to what over here on the other I you're oh you're used to off the look, I don't have a tailor either. What do you people think I have somebody makes my suit? When's the last time you saw me in a suit? It was in December and that's an off the rack suit. I haven't bought a suit in ten years because I don't like clothes shopping. Because precisely because nothing does fit off the rack. I got better things to do to sit there and be measured three or four times to get it right. And if that was what was was somewhat miraculous about this, is that Catherine got enough delivered that something worked. And when when I saw the ties, so these are the dullest ties. I don't wear invisible ties like this. Is I said I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but this is this is this is how they interpreted what you said you want. Turned out to be perfect. The tie turned out to be the perfect color for what was to come later. Anyway, I got to take a break. Uh, There's still a lot to this uh, story. And there's more than I can tell you today about Donald Trump and who he is and why he's unbeatable. Folks, he's indomitable. There's these, these clowns. The Democrats, they still have no idea what they're up against. They haven't the slight. There's nobody. There's nobody in the Democrat Party. There's nobody in American politics that even comes close to the personality and the the overall attitude towards life of Donald Trump. It's incredible. I got to take a break. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. Rush Limbaugh back at it. The EIB Network and the Limbaugh Institute for Advanced Studies. Great to have you here. Now, look, in, in this story, we're not even at the White House yet. I still have a ways to go in explaining what all happened here on on Tuesday. But there's not enough time in this segment. I kind of went overboard in the first one, so, so bear with me here. I just want to reiterate something. You look at what happened in Iowa. And I'll give you, I told the president there was a meeting. I'm jumping ahead, but there was a meeting in the Yellow Oval. Teddy Roosevelt loved the Oval Office so much, he had an exact replica built in the residence. And it's yellow. It's the same dimensions as the Oval Office in the West Wing. The entire Trump family is there. And the subject of the Democrats' meltdown in Iowa, the Hawkeye Hawkeye came up. And I said, Mr. President, don't you find it a little ironic? These people running around the last four years claiming you cheated with Russia. You're going to cheat in 2020. And look what happened. These people, Silicon Valley running their operation. They can't even count votes. When are they going to blame Russia for this? When are they going to blame you for this? And he got a big laugh out of it. What a bunch of incompetent, arrogant... More on this in a minute. Hang on. Half my brain tied behind my back still. Just to make it fair. The EIB Network and Rush Limbaugh wrapping up. Oh, by the way, it's open line Friday. So when we get to the phones about a quarter to three this afternoon... Whatever you want to talk about will be fun. No, I hope to be able to get the phones much, uh, much, much sooner than that. Um, this experience that Catherine and I had, and look, folks, I have to look. I've, I've known Donald Trump for years, and I've been really fortunate the past year. Played golf with him a number of times when he's down here, down in, in Florida. Uh, 
And I've gotten to know him personally. I know Donald Trump when I saw him come down the escalator. I know I've known Donald Trump from the moment he got into this. And I knew he was going to win two weeks after he got into this. And I never had any doubts about it. And I fully, totally understand the Democrats' discombobulation with it. They have no idea what they're up against. They still don't. The deep state, all these people that have tried to run Donald Trump out of town, they just, they have no idea, folks. They have, they literally, I don't think, know anybody like him, which is a shame. They don't know people like Donald Trump. They may even have disdain for people like Donald Trump. If you look at Donald Trump's life, he's lived a full and complete life, and not everything has been um, what we would characterize as exemplary, but that's the point. He's lived. He has gotten everything life has to offer, and he's not finished. And he attacks it each and every day, and he has no... What's the word? He's, he's, got, he's got no... Um, Self-doubt. He doesn't let what other people might think of what he wants to do stop him from doing it or from saying what he wants to say. He's just a unique personality. And the fact that the political establishment, in fact, in some of both parties don't understand it is uh, not hard to understand because there is a way of doing things, the standard operating procedure in electoral politics. And you can see the contrast. Go watch watch any Democrat during the Hawkeye Hawkeye, the lead up, and then that night when the vote mess happened, and listen to any of them talk. And every speech, even the hand gestures, are rehearsed, focus grouped, the words that they say, focus grouped, practiced. None of it is real. And all of it is pandering. Every bit of it is pandering. Mitt Romney epitomizes the pandering. Romney is pandering to other losers. For some reason, Romney thinks this is his route to victory. He hasn't slightest idea what his future is. But it doesn't include victory. Not even close. And he's going to find out sooner than later. But in this day, this past Tuesday, there was simply no way it wasn't going to happen. And he never made a demand. I want to try to be clear about this so that as many of you as possible understand the personalities. There's no, there, there was no demanding. There was nothing offensive. There was nothing belittling. There was nothing. It's a unique person that is, in, that, that, that is able to persuade people to do what they want and make them happy they're doing it, even when they don't think they can. In Donald Trump's world, there simply is... No, can't. Especially when it comes to when it comes to trying. So we tell him late in the afternoon on Tuesday that we're going to accept the invitation. He's thrilled. He was ecstatically happy. But as I was to learn later, not for himself. He um, pardon the sniffles here, folks. I told you I've got a. A little bit of a bronchial congestion, chest cold coming on. At any rate, he's he's uh, he's on the phone and saying, "Look, of course, of course, your health comes first. There's no question. You got to put your health first. Can't the doctor 
take some of it out now, and then go get the rest of it tomorrow. What's his name? It was, but there was never a demand. There was, there just wasn't any way we were going to be able to decline it. That just wasn't going to happen. We figured that out, and then all the logistics fell into place. And we arrived in Washington and were picked up and taken to the White House. We were met by Hogan Gidley in the communication shop. We went to the library in the White House, which is uh, it's off the diplomatic entrance area. It's near the, the elevator to the uh, residence where the first lady was posing for photos with all of the people who were being recognized in the gallery that night. And we were last in line on purpose because after we posed for the photo with the first lady, we were then escorted to the uh, to the residence to meet the Trump family in the yellow oval. Again, that is a room in the residence... It's not far down the hall. If it's uh, if you keep walking past it, you'll run into the Lincoln bedroom and the Queen's bedroom. And it's the exact dimensions of the Oval Office in the West Wing. Teddy Roosevelt loved that room. He had it made for the residents. The exact measurements with the predominant color being yellow. Hang on here just a second, folks. So we're escorted into the room by Mrs. Trump, and we chat with her for two or three minutes, and then the Trump family began to come in, Ivanka, Donald Jr., Eric, their wives, spouses, and then the president came in and sat down and started uh, talking about the award and the medal and what it means and how special it is and how uh, thrilled he was that we were able to make it. And, folks, uh, I... I don't know if I should. I'm just going. I'm going to go ahead and, and tell you this. I, I realize that it's going to open the floodgates of a bunch of people in the media. But at this stage, I don't care. And I never have cared, and I'm not going to start caring now. What they say. One of the reasons I was reluctant was I just wasn't sure I deserved this. You look at. I mean, it's the highest civilian honor that the country. Awards. It's the exact same award that Congress give the Congressional Medal of Honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. It's the exact same thing. Uh, there are different requirements. Uh, military people who qualify are awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor uh, with sometimes a ceremony at the White House, but this is the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And there was a part of me. I'm a radio talk show host, and I sit here behind this microphone, and I and I talk, and I'm, this is, by the way, nothing new. Remember when I was at the National Review 50th anniversary dinner in Washington? Some of you will remember this story. I'm sitting at Mr. Buckley's table, and a man walks up to me who has been severely wounded in battle. And he asks if I can come over to his table to meet others at his table who also have been wounded. So I did. And I got over there and and I was listening to these guys who have nearly died. 
defending the country, telling me how much they enjoy listening to my program and all that. And I said to these guys, I said, you know, I, I, I don't know, guys. You've faced bullets, you've almost died. I sit behind a microphone in an enclosed room and talk. And the leader of the Wounded Warriors said, sir, we all have our role. And I've never forgotten that. And I remember when I started questioning, gee, is this something I really have uh, earned or deserved? I remembered that statement from the, I mean, really severely wounded. We all have our roles. And then I said, I can't. I can't react to this in a way that diminishes their appreciation. I can't sit here and say, oh, come on, guys. You know, I'm not worth this. You can't do that. It means everything in the world to them that I came over and they wanted to tell me this. And so you can't, you can't phony up the humility and, and act that. So I gutted it up and I told them how much I appreciated it, how stunned I was, how much it meant to me to know that they were out there. And it was a great evening. So the same thing. I decided, okay, drop this, drop this business that the president wants to give it to you. That's all that matters. You've, 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 you've got to do it. But I just, I'm jumping back in time because that was one of the um, items of when we're deciding whether to do this or not. And I didn't tell Catherine. Catherine's hearing this for the first time, I think. I may have said, you think I really deserve it? I don't know, but I don't think I did. So... We get there, president's talking, and we have the joke about the Democrats in Iowa. And he's sitting on a an ottoman, a footstool. We're on sofas facing each other. Mrs. Trump, other family members, he's on an ottoman by himself, no ties, where he's got his jacket on, crisp white shirt, unbuttoned. And I said, you know, I couldn't do this. Whenever I used to do anything like this, like a big speech or rush, I had to be alone with no distractions. I I couldn't have a bunch of people around me. I said, now, one of the reasons I don't, none of it was scripted, and I had lived everything, so I needed to make sure my brain was working and not distracted. And, and he said, no, this is, this, this, we love this. We love, this is, this is historic. We've got such a great story to tell. You know, there, Donald Trump is not ashamed to trumpet his accomplishments and achievements. They're real. He does have his own version of humility. You have to know how to spot it. It happens at every rally. Donald Trump will tell everybody in the world how much he appreciates their support, one way or the other. Could be 30 seconds, could take him two minutes, but everybody at a Trump rally knows that he appreciates them and doesn't take any of their support, their presence, for granted. So then, after this and the joking about the Democrats and my suggesting that maybe the Russians were behind this disaster in Iowa, it was time to leave. And this was something I never knew. I never knew how all of this happened. All those guests sitting up there with the First Lady in the gallery, I never knew how it all happened. But now I do. And I will tell you when we get back. Okay, so the way they get everybody over, uh, and I'm, I'm truncating this, they've got a couple of um, buses 
minivans that they uh, they're very nice. Don't misunderstand minivan. They put all the guests in, and the guests are the tail end of the caravan. It is a massive caravan, more SUVs I've ever seen in a row. And we left the White House about eight fifteen to get over there, and they hustle you in uh, to the gallery, and you sit down and. I've never been in the gallery. Oh, yeah, I have in the Senate. Never in the House. I have seen the House chamber from floor level. You're not allowed to go out there if you're not a member. And it was pretty full. Then we got there at 8.30. And all the Republicans are just, they're looking up and they're waving thumbs up. It was, I don't know, it was so, it was, it was so inspiring and gratifying. And there was just a... If you can imagine an envelope or a, 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 like a wave of warmth that just swept over me sitting there. Every Republican congressman, every senator, every looking down there. And then to see the Democrats not doing a thing and they're dressed in all white and so forth. And it was it was just it was just a moving, moving night and. Sitting there, can't believe we're there. Can't believe it happened. Can't believe it all came together. And then it happened. Almost every American family knows the pain when a loved one is diagnosed with a serious illness. Here tonight is a special man, beloved by millions of Americans, who just received a stage four advanced cancer diagnosis. This is not good news, but what is good news is that he is the greatest fighter and winner that you will ever meet. Rush Limbaugh, thank you for your decades of tireless devotion to our country. This is the the House Chamber, the State of the Union. My mom and dad would not have believed it. That kind of thing was not possible. And Rush, in recognition of all that you have done for our nation, the millions of people a day that you speak to and that you inspire, and all of the incredible work that you have done for charity... I am proud to announce tonight that you will be receiving our country's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Now, I thought this was coming in a couple weeks in the Oval Office. Somebody jabbed me, turn to your right, turn to your right, turn away from the First Lady. Okay. I will now ask the First Lady of the United States to present you with the honor, please. And Pelosi's going nuts. That's when she starts ripping up the speech. Pelosi's so ticked off she can't see straight. 
You have no idea what this is like. Of all the things you think might happen Lunch to you in life, Catherine, this... congratulations. Thank you, Catherine. This is not one of them. I've got to take a break. There's one other thing about this I have to impart, though, so stick with us. For me, the highlight, though, was Sergeant Williams brought back from Afghanistan, hadn't seen his kids and his wife in years. That moment, he came down those steps. You have to have been there to understand the power of that moment. We're going to be getting to the phones very quickly. In this busy broadcast hour, my friends, so, so so hang in there and beat off. The phone number is, and of course, our lines are full. They always are full, but you time your call correctly, you can get through. Numbers 800-282-2882. And if you want to send an email, it is lrushbo at eibnet.us. I want to, for those of you watching on the Diddle Cam, this will also be at rushlimbo.com. I want to show you a picture up close of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, that is that is it right there. And it is... I, I, I couldn't stop looking down at it the, uh, the whole time that, I am, uh, that I'm wearing it. It clasps in the back. It's just... It's just beautiful. <laughs> Excuse me, Brad, you have the other... The black and white photo. We've, we've also uh, got one more photo to show you that'll also be at rushlimbaugh.com. And we're looking to get it. There it is. A black and white picture from taken from below the second floor with uh, the Medal of Honor in color. And it's... Uh, folks, I, it was such a joyous occasion. It was so unbelievable. And something for which uh, not only me, but my family will be eternally grateful for. It's... Very, very special moment indeed. And I thank again the president and, uh, and his family. Vice President Pence called uh, after we left the Capitol and were on the way back to our super secret location and where we spent the rest of the week. And oh, 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 one thing. The, uh, do you remember later in the evening there, there was a – a young mother and and her, I think it was two kids sitting just to the left of the first lady. And she was, we, we met her, she was in line in front of us for the photo with the first lady at the White House before we all got in a bus to go over to the Capitol. And she was so sweet and she, she, um, well, I don't want to say she looked sad because I don't want to mischaracterize her. She may not have been sad, but she clearly is there with her kids. Her husband is away in Afghanistan. Uh, she's in the gallery because he is going to be rec- he and she are going to be recognized. She has no idea the president has flown her husband back, and he's waiting outside the doors to come down the steps. And when the president announced that, the, I mean, the place just erupted, and her face lit up, and her kids were the happiest you've ever seen a couple of kids. Sergeant Williams, and he came down the steps, and he hugged his two kids, and uh, she was beside herself. I mean, this, this, this uh, call it a show, if you will, but it's, 
it's uh, it's more that this is the kind of thing that has deep meaning to to people, and the thought, you know, the idea to do something like this to extend this kind of honor to people defending the country. I maintain that this is another example of the essence of uh, Trump and his administration and how he has an absolute bond of connection with the people responsible for making this country work. And as we were as we were walking out, I, I met uh, Sergeant Williams and posed for a, for a photo. And I jokingly said, I said, you guys have a place to stay tonight. And I was wondering. Like, she didn't know he was coming. And so... <laughs> She she looked at me and she nodded, said, yeah, we do. Uh, but that moment when that was announced and he came bounding down those steps and the, the look of joy on his kids, oh, heart melt city. Anyway, let's go to the phones. People have been patiently waiting, lining up since the program began. We'll start with Elliot in Wilmette, Illinois. Thanks, Elliot, for holding on and welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you for taking my call, Rush. Uh, my very, very best wishes for you. I'm uh, very pleased to speak with you. My question has to do with the uh, State of the Union show uh, from the party we were in. We could see from your surprise, we could hear you saying to yourself, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. My question is about Nancy Pelosi, and did you notice from where you were her pre-tearing of the speech before she did so at the end. Yeah, but I didn't and know what it was. I, I saw her. I saw her pre-tearing it, and I, I I had no idea that it was because was that before she started or dur- along during it? And what? And secondly, no, it was what do you it was that will do no no to the, it, uh, to the Democrats. No, it was it was before because clearly she didn't have the strength to rip it from scratch. So she right. had to get each page started in advance so that when she went to rip it up. But that was before he started? Well, I don't I, no, I think it was I think it was after he started. Ah. Uh, although I have to I have to say that I only know that based on what I've seen since. I didn't actually see her doing that, the initial rip uh during the State of the Union speech. Now, what what it all means for the Democrats. I don't think I don't think this is complicated and I I wish I had some unique, brand new, you've never heard it before answer. But you want to know what the impact of this is going to be on the Democrats. It is going to be devastating. I'm watching the media today. I've watched the media the past couple of days. They're trying to glaze over this debacle in Iowa. They're trying to make it even media that you think is friendly to us. They're doing everything they can to salvage this because they need viable opponents for ratings. They need to be able to report that the Democrats have a chance, that the Democrats are gaining ground on Trump. But folks, the mistake that they have made from the beginning, they continue to make it. They are incapable of fixing this. For whatever unreasonable, make-no-sense reasons they hate, Donald Trump, and they think everybody else does too. There's no other reason to do this. But look, everything they have tried has failed. Everything has blown up on them. They are the epitome of wild E. Coyote. 
They are a laughing stock. They are a joke out there across the fruited plain. They're not a laughing stock or joke in the media because the media is invested in them, wants them to look good, wants them to win. But I'm telling you, ripping up State of the Union speech that's chronicling and reporting on the greatness of the State of the Union, the improvements and the changes for the good for everybody that has happened. There, there, there's no sizable constituency out there that hates Trump so much that they're going to applaud that. The Democrat Party makes the mistake of assuming that Twitter is national public opinion. They make the mistake of assuming that Twitter represents a majority of their support. Twitter represents maybe 20% of the thinking of this country. And they'll never figure this out. Because the media lies to them and the media pumps them up and they literally sit there. Pelosi literally thinks that this country hates Trump more and more every day. And that she, why else do this? Why pull a stunt like this? If, if, if she thinks that it's going to harm the Democrats, there's no reason to do it. She obviously, hang on, obviously thinks this is going to help them. And it's, I think, a great illustration of how totally out of touch they are and have been for four years. And I'll tell you, I don't think they have ever been close. Past three, four years, whatever, however you want to tabulate, they have not been close to meeting their objectives on Donald Trump. They have not been close to getting rid of him. They've not been close to succeeding in impeachment. They've not been close in this Russia business. They have been embarrassingly off-bent, out of touch. They have looked mean-spirited and ridiculous to a vast majority of normal Americans to whom their behavior doesn't make any sense. And the Democrats have no way of knowing that and seeing that. This was a big debacle. This Iowa mess is right along the line with it. I'm watching, as I said, watching the media... Well, the Democrats have given the uh, candidates uh, additional time here to work on the... Come on, this is an embarrassment. What was the result of impeachment? It killed Joe Biden. Impeachment killed Joe Biden. That's what impeachment did. Impeachment took out Joe Biden. Joe Biden finishes fourth. Biden is finished. Biden was never going to win this thing. I'm telling you, how many times did I tell you in June, May... 2019, ABC does that story reporting on Biden and his kid Hunter. I told you they're trying to take him out. Biden's not going to be the nominee. And they don't want it to be crazy Bernie. How about the, the, the Des Moines Register poll the night before the Hawkeye Hawkeye? They don't release it, claiming some kind of snafu. The snafu was they didn't like the result. These people, I think, are the ones that manipulate vote counts. Not Trump. These are the people that partnered with Russia. Well, Hillary Clinton did with all of that. And and no matter what they try, it blows up in their face. But go back the last week, the last two weeks, the last month. What have you heard in the drive-by media? Joe Biden Leading by a landslide, slam dunk, Joe Biden leading in Iowa, Joe Biden wins in Iowa, going to clear the decks in New Hampshire. Joe Biden comes in fourth place 
in Iowa. Meanwhile, Trump's got his headline acquitted. Trump acquitted. How stupid are they? They knew this was going to be the result. They knew Trump was going to be acquitted, and yet they went ahead with this anyway. Why? Because they think everybody hates Trump. The big mistake they make, they think they represent a majority majority of thinking in this country. They think that wacko liberalism slash socialism slash communism is the majority thinking in this country. It's not even close. But they think they've got to hold their base together. So I think I think that's what Pelosi ripping up the speech. Plus total frustration. Trump was acquitted, made her look like a political novice when she supposedly is the dean of Washington politicians. Anyway, I appreciate the call. This is Elizabeth in Columbus, Ohio. You're next. It's great to have you. Hi. Hey, Rush. It's good to hear you on the radio. Thank you, sir. Uh, Ma'am, I'm sorry. (laughs) No problem. My question for you is I wonder what you think what lessons do you think the Republican leadership are learning from watching the Democratic implosion? Well, if you, if you, you look at the Republican Party, it's pretty unified behind Trump. Well, well, I think they've had the benefit of not being in the spotlight. But, you know, the rise of Trump was really because, and I think on both sides, Republican and Democrat, there was a large portion of people that feel very frustrated with not being heard. And, you know, I think that's what led to Trump winning the Republican nomination you know he wasn't their guy and republican base put him in there almost as a you know referendum i think in some ways against the republican leadership no question about it well so what have they learned from that and from watching the democrats try to deal with the same you know divisions in their party um and how are they going to take that once Trump is out? Well, I don't. I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure what they've learned. But I'll tell you what they should have learned. They should have learned. If they look at Trump's approval rating. Look at the economy has the highest approval rating ever. Trump's approval rating as president after all of this, Elizabeth. After all this impeachment, after all of the Mueller investigation, which was a perjury trap, after all the Russia stuff, after all Trump's approval rating is at an all-time high. And I think one of the lessons that I see being learned by a whole lot of Republicans is they don't have to be afraid of the media anymore. If Donald Trump is demonstrating one thing, it's you don't have to be afraid of what the media says about you. You can win if you simply connect with the majority of the American people. And Trump did, and he connected with the majority of the American people because particularly in Republicans, they're fed up. They've been lied to campaign after campaign after campaign. Candidates have promised to do X, Y, and Z. Year after year after year, get elected. It doesn't happen. Take the issue. It doesn't matter. Trade or health care. You name it. Trump comes along, and he is not one of those people. He is, by definition, an outsider who is already well-known and has established an identity with people in his other businesses, and he has the unique ability to speak publicly and be believed. People take him seriously. They believe he means what he says, that he's going to do what he's going to do, and he does it. And they've, and they've learned it. And it just, to me, illustrates how many people in this country for so long have been frustrated 
with the, I don't know, deep state or with just the way Washington works. And the way Washington works is it's all about them and their families and their kids. It's really not about you except every election. They make it look like it is. There's some exceptions here, but most of Washington, look at the ambassadorial corps that testified against, by the way, you see Trump might be getting rid of Vindman. Right on, dude. Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. Oh, say can't get rid of him. Get rid of all these saboteurs. Trump's approval rating will go up to 60% if he does this. Well, we we know uh, we know who the whistleblower is. He has been outed publicly to mention the, the moment I mentioned his name. But this is, look, there's nothing about Trump. Trump doesn't go back. He'll slam them as they fail, but he's going to keep moving forward. He leaves them in the dust. All they can do is cry over spilt milk and bellyache and whine and moan. And we, Trump is just out maneuvering them. He's out dancing them. He is, he is he's zooming and speeding by these people on his agenda, on his uh, uh, approach uh, with the media. And so they don't know. They still, it's amazing to me that they still haven't figured out and don't seem to care who he really is and how to stop him, which is fine and dandy with me. They continue to just do dumb, ignorant things as they attempt to stay true or whatever to their to their ideology. Look, I got to go. Quick time out. We will continue in a moment. Grab audio sound by number 45. Uh, shortly after 12 noon today, maybe it was, it was just maybe just before 12 noon, President leaving the White House on the way to helicopter to Marine One to get on a flight down to North Carolina, and he was holding something in his hand. And he, uh, he he walked up to the media. This is what he said. So I just got this. It was just handed to me. This is the D.C. Circuit. And we just won the big emoluments case. I think it was a unanimous decision. This was brought by Nancy Pelosi and her group. Uh, just came out a few minutes ago. So uh, I'll be reading it on the helicopter. But it was a, uh, a total win. This was brought by 230 Democrats in Congress on emoluments. It was another phony case, and we won it three to nothing. We won it unanimously. I mean, it, it, it's it's just another slam dunk. A federal appeals court, three to nothing, dismissed a lawsuit by congressional Democrats alleging that Trump violated the emoluments clause of the Constitution by refusing to allow lawmakers to review and approve his financial interests. And as CNN says here, the ruling is a major triumph for the president, who's intensely sought to keep his business affairs in private. The case's dismissal effectively kneecaps one of several attempts Democrats have made to dig up more information about Trump's... Trump has kneecapped them on everything. The Democrats have been kneecapped. The media has been kneecapped on virtually everything. Folks, unemployment news here. U.S. creates 225,000 new jobs in January, way above the experts' prediction of 164,000. Unemployment rate, 3.6%. Wages climb, 3.1% yearly rate in January. 
the approval numbers that Trump has after every attempt the Democrats have made. If I were them, I would seriously be looking at what they've done. They've, you know, you've, you've heard me say they've launched every weapon they know destroys Republicans. They've thrown everything at Trump that has gotten rid of any Republican they've wanted to take out for as long as I've been doing this. And not a one of them, not a one of them has even come close. (coughs) I'm sorry, folks. I've got a cold starting in the bronchi. I didn't have time to hit the cough, but I'm really sorry about that. They haven't been able to – they haven't even gotten close is the point, despite what the media – the media has been running Trump's funeral for three years. He is triumphing over these people like nobody ever has, like no conservative ever has, like no Republican ever has. We'll be back here in just a second. Greetings and welcome back. It's El Rushbo on the cutting edge of societal evolution. We go back to the phone, Sean in Memphis. I'm glad you waited, sir, and hello. Megadittos, Maharashi. Thank you, sir. What? It's, it's such an honor to talk to you on probably the most important week uh, in, in politics of my adult life. I've been listening since 88, and, and you were talking about, you know, the unique abilities of, of Donald Trump. And one of the greatest ones I find is that he has the, the ability to tweak the left so acutely that, uh, I mean, just giving you the, the Medal of Honor, not that you don't deserve it. I 100% believe that. But I know that it tweaked the left so strongly and probably had everything to do with the tearing of the paper. I mean, it was it was just amazing. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it did. Pelosi's even said that she thought Trump was going to mention John Lewis when uh, when he mentioned my name. And yeah. yeah, then she starts uh, ripping. In fact, let's listen. Pelosi, uh, and I've had people ask me, does it bother you what they're... No, folks, that's the point. That's the whole point of Donald Trump. It shouldn't bother anybody what they say. It's predictable. It's baseless. Um, it's It's all the things they claim that they're not. These are the people that engage in insensitivity and racism and bigotry and all this stuff while claiming they're the paragons of virtue and attacking everybody on the conservative side as all the isms and and so forth. I just uh, always I've always thought that it was a testament to my effectiveness. It was always a sign of how get under their skin. If it didn't, they wouldn't even mention it. Here is Pelosi. This is Yesterday morning, she held her weekly press conference. We will not allow any president to use that capital, that chamber of the House of Representatives, of the People's House, as a backdrop for him. Now, all presidents have guests, constant guests. That was not a state of the union. That was a state, his state of mind. Let me say how I can give a Medal of Honor. Do it in your own office. We don't come in your office and do congressional business. Why are you doing that here? Quite frankly, when he started talking about someone with stage four cancer, all of that, I thought he was, I don't know which stage uh, John Lewis's cancer is at, but when he started talking about someone with cancer, we thought he was going to talk about John Lewis, a hero in our country. Come on. You see, Trump had no business doing that in her house. We're not going to allow any president to use that capital, that chamber, 
people's house as a backdrop for him. And that's why she rips up the State of the Union speech. I'm telling you, um, she has literally no empathy. She has no idea how that was seen. And if she does, if she does, then it was just, it was one of the biggest political errors that, unforced errors that anybody has ever made. You don't like it? Be quiet about it. Move on. Don't call additional attention to it. There she is, because they think they've got it. Folks, another bit of evidence here. For how long have we been told? It's a number of years, right? The Democrat base. The Democrat Party. They hate Donald Trump. They can't wait for Election Day. They can't wait to get rid of Donald Trump. It's the only thing that matters. So here comes the Hawkeye Hawkeye. The turnout was eh. It was embarrassingly light. Nobody even knows what the count was. They've got Silicon Valley brains behind their operation. They can't even tabulate the vote. My theory is they can, and it was so bad they didn't want anybody to know. They don't want anybody to know who really won that, because whoever probably won it has no prayer of beating Trump. And I'll bet you the turnout was tiny. Trump's turnout. Trump's not even opposed. And there were far more Republicans that Trump beat the Obama turnout. You know, Obama was unopposed in 2012. So you get to the Hawkeye Hawkeye, and a lot of people showed up for Obama to make a statement. We love the guys, our guy. More people showed up for Trump than showed up for Obama. Meanwhile, the Democrats, barely over half the turnout that showed up for Trump. So where is all this supposed energy? You have no idea. You have no idea how often, how frequently, and how largely you have been lied to or misrepresented by mainstream media. And the Democrats don't either. They're falling for all this hook, line, and sinker, as I said, believing everybody thinks about Trump the way they do. And it all boils down. Okay, let's run through the list. Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete. Have you seen Mayor Pete? One of his, he's a programmed, focus-grouped candidate that has rehearsed his hand positions for emphasis. He has focus-grouped the words. He's focus-grouped the timing, meaning there isn't anything real. Crazy Bernie has got them all scared to death because they think that Crazy Bernie, if he wins, is going to destroy the Democrat Party. I got news for you. The Democrat Party's on the way to total implosion anyway because there isn't any difference in Crazy Bernie and Elizabeth Warren or Hillary Clinton or any of the other front. But they all want government in charge of everything. They all want to destroy the economy that has been created in the free market. They want to replace it with massive tax increases. The Democrats are lying to them. They're fooling themselves if they believe there's a smidgen bit of difference in whoever they nominate. Well, Mayor Pete is a centrist, and there aren't any centrists anymore. You know something, folks? i got to tell you something else. And those of you who've been listening to me for many, many moons know this. This idea that you have 40% left and 40% right and 20% undecided, and the 20% undecided are the brilliant ones. They are the smart ones. 
They're the ones that haven't made up their minds. They're the ones who aren't partisan. They're the ones who study it issue by issue by issue. And they're the ones who care most about the future of the country. And so every election is a battle for all of that 20%. That's so bogus. There isn't any centrism out there in America anymore. We're so partisan and divided. There isn't any middle ground. Not to speak of. I mean, some people might think they're centrist, but they're not. Most of the people who have been moderates or centrists are simply liberal Democrats who didn't want to say so. And they are dwarfed by the number of conservatives in this country. Not in California and New York, but throughout the whole country, they are, they are outnumbered by people who self-identify as conservative versus those who self-identify as liberal. But the liberals all live uh, in coagulated areas. Parts of New York, parts of California, they don't get out. They don't know anybody else of any other way of thinking. And there's nothing centrist about any of them. I think this is another one of the biggest scams that professional politicians and, if you want to throw media in too, have been running on the American people. This idea that there's this great unwashed in the middle. And they're the ones we got to pay attention to. They're the ones we got to watch because they're the ones that are not partisan. They make up their minds issue by issue. They're not racist. They're not sexist. They're not bigoted. They're any of this other stuff. And I have never for the longest, it may have been the case some years ago, but I don't think it's been the case for a long time. And I think most of those people that used to be classified as centrist, the great unwashed, have moved to our side. Most of them support Trump and don't admit it. But when the time comes for them to demonstrate it and show it, there they are and there they will be. They show up at rallies. They show up at the ballot box. Does anybody really think the Democrats have anything that can compare to the Trump rally, to the energy that is at one of those things, to the commitment, to the personal bond that people have with the candidate. Do you think anybody really has on the left a personal bond with Mayor Pete? I mean, a sizable number. Have anybody a personal bond with, uh, with Joe Biden? Crazy Bernie might be the closest that has any kind of a a personal mind. But the Democrats are trying to sabotage him again because they think he's going to destroy the party, which what they don't know is that it's already in dire straits, no matter they nominate Crazy Bernie or not. We'll take a brief break and come back. More phone calls right after this. So right now, CNN is blowing up the story of the returning sergeant from Afghanistan walking down the steps in uniform to see his wife and children who he hasn't seen in months. CNN's got some angry military writer, some woman who says, this is bogus, this is reunion porn. Reunion porn. This is not what everybody thinks it is when they look at it. There's often no follow-up, and the administration to do it don't care what happens to these people after they leave the House chamber. They may have nowhere to stay. This is reunion porn. Okay, CNN, keep at it. it this. When are these people going to—I hope they never do. When are they going to figure out they've been burned? 
When are they going to figure out none of this stuff is hurting Donald Trump? It's only hurting them. They can see their audience dwindle away. They can see the respect that the audience has for them dwindle away. What? Why? Why even want to step on something like this? Why want to? Tr- why want to step on a military family being reunited by calling it reunion porn because Trump doesn't really mean it? Because Trump doesn't follow through. And I was there. I saw this. I shook their hands. I walked out with them. They were deliriously happy. I pointedly asked them if they had some place to stay. I was going to get them a hotel. I don't know. I mean, she doesn't know her husband's coming home. I don't know where they live. But I was going to get them a hotel room. Uh, with because then I stopped and now the president's obviously the administration's taking care of that so I didn't I didn't say anything but that's that that was my concern I mean the last thing in the world that it occurred to me is to find a way to rip and criticize them but they just keep on and I I don't know what I don't know who they think they're reaching and for and what they think they're accomplishing. Anyway, let me get back to the phones. This is Will in uh, in Rhinebeck, New York. Great to have you, sir. The EIB Network. Hello. Russ, thank you so much. It's great to hear from you. Uh, mega dittos, mega prayers. Um, I've been listening to you for about 15 years. I just want to thank you because during the Obama years, you were the beacon of hope for all of us. So. Thank you, sir. For me, yeah. too. And uh, my daughter and I are huge fans of the Rush Revere books. We're actually reading through the uh, first Patriots right now. And it was just such an honor to see you receive the Medal of Honor. It just couldn't have gone to a better person. Well, it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I, it's, uh, it's so special. And the, the president was not going to let me miss it. He was not going to let me uh, talk him or myself out of appearing at the House chamber that night. I remember, folks, I knew I was going to get the medal. The president had told me that it was going to happen in a couple of weeks uh, in the Oval Office. And for those of you just tuning in, let me remind you of something else. There are details here that I can't tell you that I so desperately want to because they describe and illustrate even further the the kind of person Donald Trump is. But if to do that, I would have to go into details about um, – my condition and my treatment, and I'm just not going to do that. I'm not the only one that's ever gone through this. A lot of you have, a lot of you are. And I vowed when this whole thing started, I'm not going to bleed on anybody with this. But someday, someday, somehow, I'm going to be able to tell the entire story because there are elements of it that will, you'll just laugh yourself silly. And they're all about Donald Trump refusing to hear no. No matter how polite, no matter how sincere, no matter heartfelt, no way, not possible. And this is, as I say, it's an aspect of his personality that these people, his his political opponents, have at the slightest idea. They have no way of understanding it. Uh, he just, he 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 will not, he will not be denied. And for all these times, and you think. People on his staff are getting away with sabotaging him, like the whistleblower, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. No, no. It may look like it in the moment, but they are going to, I don't want to say pay a price. They're, 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 they're going to be outed for what they're not going to get away with it is the point. Uh, he's just, 
indomitable and will not let anybody deny what he wants. And I don't mean that as he's oppressive and insensitive and doesn't listen. It's, in fact, the exact opposite. Brief break. Back with more after this. Fastest three hours in media, two hours in the can. And one exciting, busy broadcast hour remaining. We'll get to that. And your phone calls will be part of it. Um, again, thanks to everybody out there and all of your good wishes. I'm I'm seeing all of it. I haven't had a chance to reply to all, but I can't tell you how deeply I appreciate all of it. The views expressed by the host in this program documented to be almost always right. 99.8% of the time, it's great to have you with us. My friends, as we wrap up yet another week of broadcast excellence. I want to talk a little bit more about the Democrats' situation in Iowa. I just have some things I want to close the loop on. I've been dancing all around this all day. I think it is so much, uh, much, much more meaningful than anybody knows. I think this debacle is a harbinger of disasters to come. And you know what it's all rooted in, ladies and gentlemen? The Democrats really cannot do elections anymore because they can't. They can't stand the way people vote. You know, I have said that the day is going to come where some of these Democrats, and look at Schiff's already done it, already made reference to it. We got to cancel a vote. The vote, we can't trust the ballot box, Schiff said. Can't trust the ballot box to do what we Democrats want. Meaning, we can't trust the American people to elect us. They just can't stand that people vote in ways they don't like. So look, Hillary loses, and they've tried to tear the country apart for three years. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I, I, I just, I don't think this is a... A one-off and an isolated thing. I think it is symbolic of a trend. And I have never thought these people represent the majority of thinking in this country. I've never thought it. The media creates the impression that they do. But I've never thought so. In fact, there was a story I had this. I didn't get into much detail with it at the time, but it was... Two or three weeks ago, and it was it was a story about how all of these liberal elites in places like Silicon Valley, California, and Hollywood, all these liberal elites, white liberal elites, live their lives the same way you do. They raise their kids the same way you do. They just don't want anybody to know it. They are not exposing their kids to crime. They're not exposing their kids to sanctuary cities. And they're not exposing their kids to drugs. On purpose. They're trying to shield them. They're trying to raise their kids the same way you are. But they don't dare let Democrat voters know it because it would be if they found out the epitome of hypocrisy. Well, it is the epitome of hypocrisy. Look at Look at the scandal. All of these white, liberal Hollywood people gaming the system to get their kids into elite universities. Why does that matter? That's something rich Republicans do. 
Well, of course it matters because that's how you grease the skids for your kids' future. They don't want anybody to know it. That's when it is learned that this is what some of these people are doing. Look at the hell that descends on them. And I maintain to you that there are a lot of people. The media is the same way. The media living in Washington, their kids go to the finest schools. Their kids do this and that. They try to keep their kids. They're not, they're not exposing their kids to all of the crap they're telling you you have to, to be understanding and fair, but they just won't admit it. So here we are in Iowa. They can't do elections because they can't stand <laughs> that people vote in ways they don't like. Hillary loses. They've tried to tear the country apart for three years. Now Bernie is peaking as the winner. They have to jigger the votes against him. They can't stand that voters won't do what they want. Rather than try to get themselves aligned with voters, do what voters want, try to win that way, it's exact opposite. The Biden campaign, if it ever was anything, is falling apart. And I'll tell you something, I don't think Biden ever has been the real leader. Cut me a break. We really going to tell Joe Biden hasn't ever gotten anywhere in a Democrat presidential primary in his life. Why all of a sudden is Joe Biden leading this primary? I don't believe he ever has. I think they're doing everything they can to tamp down crazy Bernie. So... The plugs campaign's falling apart. Women of color are fleeing Pocahontas in droves. Mayor Pete supposedly surging. Really. And then over here, Michael Bloombito, the guy's all a 5-4, doesn't stand a prayer because I don't care how much money he spends. Hillary's being coy about running. Mitt Romney, you want to hear a rumor? Some Democrats are thinking about drafting Mitt Romney as their presidential nominee. And, of course, Romney would sign up yesterday for it. Romney would do it yesterday. So we will just have to see how it it all shakes out. A new high. 90% of Americans are satisfied with their personal life. 90%. This is Gallup. This hasn't, we haven't had a result like this in I don't know how many years, decades. And it's amazing when you have your pick of a job, your wages are going up, energy costs are low, taxes are less. You feel safe. We're not at war. Nine in ten Americans satisfied with the way things are going in their personal life. That is a new high in 40 years, four decades. That figure beats the previous high of 88% recorded in 2003. Now, if you're a Democrat and you're looking at Gallup, you can't just wave Gallup away. It's Gallup. It's biased. You can't. How'd they explain this? They don't. 
they ignore it. But man, the things are trending away from them so rapidly. Now, as I've always said, things can change in politics overnight. But you take a look at every, this, this last three and a half, four years, the targeted destruction of Donald Trump not only beat it back to be triumphing over all of it the way he is. I like that it's driving them insane. I really do. Let me go back to the phones. Douglas in uh, Ewing, New Jersey. It is great to have you, Douglas. Hello, sir. Hello. How you doing? I'm good, sir. Hey, what this is about is Doug Sattel, S-I-T-T-E-L on Google. In the YouTube uploads, you scroll all the way down to the 22nd video, time 2044. In the last minute, the judge says, if you talk, you go to jail. I was in chambers with Judge Guzman. You can hear us on YouTube, and the caption Guzman, he erased all the court audio. And in the Chicago backdrop, he says there's enough on those tapes he's going to... Yeah, I have no idea. I can't, I can't hear this guy. My hearing can't keep up with this guy, and neither can the, uh, can the transcription. Um, who's next? This is uh, Dwayne in Boston. Great to have you, sir, on the EIB Network. Hello. Bless you. God bless you. How you doing? Good, sir. Thank you. Um, I, the reason why I called, um, I've been listening since high school, um, 54 now. My mom uh, gave me a book of yours in high school, and I was talking about it online the other night after you got your award. I'm African-American Christian, but um, I'm conservative, so, you know, I'm automatically a pariah in, in certain circles, but I was talking about how um, me and, and my followers uh, need to keep you lifted up in prayer and cover you and your family and your wife and, and uh, stand with you while you go through, because I believe you come out on the other side victorious. And while I was doing that, a guy uh, started going in on me and my mom. My mom's been dead since 2010, but he said, oh, your mom gave you a rush book. Did she give you a, um, a uh, what's, what's it, Karl Marx book as well? Or um, a Jim Crow book, too, and your mother got buck tea. They just started, it was crazy. Karl Marx book? Yeah. Who the yeah, hell, Karl Marx book? Exactly. And what Jim Crow book? I never heard of a Jim Crow book. What's a Jim Crow book? There, there is none. There Who wrote the Jim guy? Crow book? The guy was just an idiot. And then, of course, people would retweet it. And first I started to delete him. I said, no, I'm going to let people see how ignorant and stupid these people are, right? Uh, because um, I guess what really pissed them off was when I said that... Um, uh, Rush is a gift to this generation, um, and some people won't get it until he's, until you know until some time goes by. But um, if he's a, a god, sowed a seed in the earth uh, named Rush Limbaugh, and they just went crazy. Uh, I guess I'm not supposed to speak up and speak my mind because I'm a black. Well, isn't it? Isn't it kind of fun to drive him crazy? I love it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And and uh, the head explodes. So I've been having um, fun doing that for thirty years. Believe me, it is a lot. Well, I of know. Fun. That's around the time I started listening, too, because my mother asked me uh, what I wanted for Christmas, and I was too old to really, you know, get those kind of uh, requests. I said, give me a Rush Limbaugh book, and she gave me a book, and I've been listening ever since. Well, that's awfully sweet, sir. Very nice. And I thank you very much. It's, it's great to know that people like you are out there, and it means more than you will ever know. Glad you got through uh, today. And we are back. El Rushbo on the cutting edge, having more fun than a human being should be allowed to have. Okay, Wednesday on CNBC, Brian Sullivan uh, subbed in there for, um, I don't know who, and was talking to Frank Luntz. Question, in your, is a focus group, guys, in your, uh, in your travels, have you found people to be any more accepting than a couple of years ago, or are we just, entrenching even more, and nobody's ever going to change their mind about it. This guy is is asking whether or not 
Uh, people are going to see the State of the Union and move to Trump. I don't even know. This question is actually kind of odd. In your travels, have you found people to be any more accepting than a couple years ago? Of what? Or are we just entrenching even accepting of what? Nobody's ever going to change their mind about anything. That's exactly right. There is no great unwashed. There is no great centrists. There is no great undecided. There aren't any great this or that. This is something the left has always counted on to put them over the top. Here's what Luntz had to uh, say. Our group actually thought that Donald Trump was not inappropriate. They did not think that he was overly partisan. They thought it was a campaign speech for 2020, which obviously it was. But I'm afraid that the people who report the news are actually missing what the voters themselves are saying. We had two undecided voters. They moved towards Trump after the speech was done. Exactly right, because they weren't undecided. Just telling once they are. We're not undecided. How do you, how do you, how can you possibly be undecided in the atmosphere in America today? But, 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 I'll go with what Luntz says. If he wants to say that they were undecided, move to Trump, fine and dandy. Now, Tuesday night, CNN, this is the actual night of the State of the Union. After the speech, Van Jones, the uh, Obama green jobs czar, weighed in. Warning to Democrats, what he was saying to African Americans can be effective. We got to wake up, folks. There's a whole bubble thing that goes on. We say, well, he said S-hole nations, therefore all black people are going to hate him forever. That ain't necessarily so. What you're going to see him do is say, you may not like my rhetoric, but look at my results, look at my record to black people. And if he narrow casts that, it's going to be effective. That was a warning to us, a warning shot across the bow of Democrats that he's going after enough black folks to cause us problems. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, Van, if I may, I'm really trying to be helpful here. You guys are so off the beaten path. If you think Trump, when he talks about S-hole countries in Africa, if you think that that somehow is going to harm him, you realize that there are a whole lot of people in this country who are fed up with sending money to a bunch of asshole countries or countries that are not allies or countries that don't do anything for it. And they may be communist countries. They may be socialist countries. And so Trump comes along and calls them what they are. And you think that's going to hurt Trump? This is where you guys... They think they are the paragons of virtue. They never say offensive things. They never say things that are going to bother people, upset people. They are the paragons of virtue. It's just the exact opposite. They are accepting. They are supportive of these kinds of outfits that have no interest in the United States' best interests. And Donald Trump does. And by the way, he owns it. There isn't anybody in American politics who can claim that they have American interests at the forefront anywhere near as much as Trump does, especially liberal Democrats. Now, here's Nia Malika Henderson, who's a commentator on CNN. She weighed in after Van Jones. Then you look at some of the things they are doing on the ground in some of these communities. I mean, he talked about opportunity zones, uh, and I've been talking to some of the, the Republicans who do, black Republicans who do work uh, in the administration, and they're doing some real work and reach out to some of these African-American communities. Right. And uh, so I think these people see uh, what is in front of them. They just don't ever believe that Trump can pull it off because they think that they have successfully maligned and impugned all Republicans forever. That we're all racist, sexist, bigot, homophobes, and so forth. But you look at the black and Hispanic unemployment rate, you look at the approval numbers Trump has, 
These people are being blindsided. They're being blindsided because they refuse to see the absolute truth. Who's next? Anita in Yorba Linda, California. Welcome to the EIB Network. Hello. Thank you. I just want you to know we're holding you close in our prayers. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You're welcome. I have a question. I need you to clarify a memory for me. My husband thinks I'm crazy. But years and years ago, and I've been listening to you for a good 25 years, I remember, or I think I remember, Chris Matthews as a guest host um, substituting for you on your show. Now, did I dream that? No, no, that actually happened. He was a guest host a couple times. Thank you. You are absolutely correct. Do you know what year it was? This is back in the back in the days of Chris Matthews. Uh, he was a good friend. He had my Chris Matthews. I'll tell you this little story. Many of you have heard it. It was a 1993 White House Correspondents' Dinner, and Clinton tells a joke about me being a racist uh, for defending uh, Janet Reno when she was attacked by John Conyers. As Clinton said, a black guy. He held the defendant because he's being attacked by a black guy. And Chris Matthews came up to me at the end and said, you cannot, you cannot let the President of the United States get away with calling you a racist. In this room and on national TV, you can't do it. That's absurd. He was outraged by it. Now, probably agrees with Clinton. Who knows? These are the people that have gone through the massive transformation. Folks, I'm very proud of something, and I know it's true. I haven't changed my core beliefs have not changed in 31 years. You have no reason to ever doubt what I believe about things. I'm talking about core beliefs. There might be subtle uh, disagreements with little tax policy here and there, but the core of conservatism, not changed, not sold it out, not betrayed anybody. I have not left anybody hanging. I've not kept people here for 25, 30 years or whatever under false pretense. And they are the one, the Democrats, the left, they're the ones that are constantly changing, becoming more and more radically liberal and socialist. And I think they they make the mistake, like I've been saying, they assume the country is moving in that direction with them and they are so wrong. Do not doubt me. They are so wrong. Be right back. Don't go away. And we are in the home stretch. Final half hour, busy broadcast day today. Back to the phones. Grand Junction, Colorado. This is Lauren. Welcome. Great to have you here. Hi. Hi, Rush. How are you? Good, sir. Thank you. Good. Well, I just wanted to let you know just how much you've meant to me over the last 31 years, actually, of my life. Um, I've been listening to you religiously for 15 years, but uh, my memories go back to 1989, getting off the school bus in fifth grade and hearing your voice on the radio when I'd go into the garage. And my dad always had you on, and that was one of my uh, fondest moments of uh, of him and I uh, in, in relationship is when we would uh, hear your voice on the radio. And you just mean so much to me and to him. And, and then in many ways, he was unable to kind of express the way he would feel uh, towards me and, and, and trying to express his love for me and with politics being the glue that kind of kept our conversations together. You were always that voice, and you were always uh, just so meaningful to us. I just wanted to thank you for that. So. Just wanted to thank you for that, Rush. You mean so much to us, uh, me and my dad. We've been talking about you in, in uh, recent days, and uh, it's been an emotional week this week. But uh, we're just praying for you, and we're just uh, really just excited to see you win that medal. It was really a thank you, thank you. Very. I have to. I have to tell you, I uh, thirty one years is a long time, and it is. 
well, I don't know, mind-blowing, fascinating, whatever. So many people call here. They've been here for the whole time. 31 years. That means people start out with whatever age they're. 31 years later, they're still here. Now, I'm still here, too. But it's my job, and it's what I love. It's what I am most satisfied doing. But 31 years is a long time. And there are incredible numbers of people who have been here 31. We have extensive audience research, folks. We know exactly who all of you are, where you live, how much you listen, what time you start, what time you stop. We got data on you that you wouldn't even believe, but we do not use it. To hunt you down, target you with advertising in the way Silicon Valley does. We do have, I'm just kidding, we don't know who all of you are. But we do know quite a bit, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, with the audience research. 31 years is a long time. Somebody starts out at age 25 and they 56 years, 56 years old and they're still listening. Um for you young hosts out there, you realize how good you have to be in order to keep people tuned in for 31 years. I'm just having fun with you. I'm blown away by it. I'm 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 in awe of it, and I am the one who is grateful and thankful. And I appreciate that, Lauren. This is Jared in Ocala, Florida. You're next, sir. Great to have you with us. Hi, Rush. How are you today? I'm good, sir. Thank you. I wanted to tell you, first off, I thought it was fantastic that President Trump gave you that award. You deserve it. You earned it. And you've kept all of us on the right path, listening carefully to what they're trying to do here. I see it daily because I'm out in the field working as a core process server, and I see people and their attitudes. But I can tell you, it's almost like the Democrats have become like the mafia. And now it isn't going their way because they got a top cop that says no way no more you know that's a good point that's a that's a good way to uh to characterize it well that's how they behave and they want it their way and they're totally you know look at it that it's only their way and god forbid anybody stands up and thinks for themselves they don't want this country thinking for themselves that's the whole problem and i think it's all based on money with them it's all based on their pockets but you seem to care so much and show, and you've given your heart and soul. And that gives a lot to all of us, and I wanted to thank you. And we're here, and we think about you every day. I do, and I'm so grateful for all the efforts you've done, and I hope you do well and stay tough. My dad suffered what you're going through. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of people have, and it's... It's tough, but I've got a good medical team. I've got some great doctors, and they've already discovered some interesting things that should facilitate treatment. So, And by the way, so many people who want to share with me friends of theirs who have had excellent results here or there or – and please call them. Please say what – I can't tell how much it it is moving that so many people want to help. Uh, It's – I just – I cherish it. And I, I appreciate your comments very much out there, Jared. Uh, folks, I've got, speaking of something he said, grab soundbite number uh, 21. I'm also looking for Vice President Pence. I've got probably 55 soundbites here, and I'm trying to find which one Pence is. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, is this it? Five and six. Right, five and six, the one the, the, the one page that I don't have. Let me 
but I need it. Ah, okay. First, but before that, go to somebody number 21. This is Howie Carr, who was on uh, Tucker Carlson's show on the Fox News Channel on Wednesday night. And Howie Carr said, why not just say, why not just say I disagree with Rush Limbaugh? Why does every disagreement have to have to be kind of perverted into a race conversation? Okay, they disagree with Rush. Fine. Well, why do they have to call everyone they dislike a racist? Every time. That's Tucker Carlson asking Howie Carr. That's the way it is uh, with liberals. If they disagree with you, ergo, you are a racist. And it doesn't matter that Russia's raised millions of dollars for charities, leukemia foundations, uh, with the Betsy Ross T-shirt more recently. He's done all that. He's a historical figure in in American politics, I would say, and in the radio industry. I'll tell you one thing. He never rode around on uh, Jeffrey Epstein's uh, jet Unlike a, a certain former president of the United States, he never tried to cow a Ronan Farrow into stopping his exposés of Harvey Weinstein like Hillary Clinton's people did. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's really uh, loathsome. All of that is a, is, is, a, is a good point. It's clearly, clearly a two-way street. Um, and then the vice president, this is what I was looking for. This is vice president. As I mentioned, he called me after the... State of the Union on Tuesday as we were headed back to the airport. And let's see, he was, this is Wednesday morning on a Fox, wait a minute, yeah, Fox News Channel, Fox and Friends. And Ducey said, your longtime friend Rush Limbaugh, president awarded him the Medal of Freedom. Rush didn't see it coming. It always happens in the White House, not Congress. So Rush didn't see it coming. I reached him shortly after he and Catherine left the Capitol, and uh, he was very moved and uh, told me that he was going to spend the rest of his life trying to earn it. And I said, Rush, uh, you've already earned it. Everything you've done to uphold uh, values and ideals that have made this country great. Uh, Rush told me last night that his wife said that uh, God is working in all of this. And uh, I believe that moment, which the president, we all found out about Rush. And then uh, the president just had this thought to say, I want to have you come to the State of the Union. But then he said, I know you've got some medical procedures this week, but I'd like to have you there. But he didn't tell him he was going to give him the highest civilian honor. Yeah. Um, and so you know, there were people when it happened. It's OK, you've got to turn to the right. You've got to turn away from the first lady. It's okay, and it was special night. And I, again, I'm I'm, I'm broken record. Uh, back in just a second, folks. Hang on. So I'm getting some uh, emails. Rush, really worried about this cough of yours. What's going, folks? This is a cold. It is a bronchial cold that started last night. You know how you get those things? You can feel it tightening up on your bronch tubes and it moves up and it goes through your throat and your nose and so forth. And that's what this is. It is unrelated to anything else. And I probably got it while I was away doing something else. You just can't, you can't avoid the cesspool sometimes of, not cesspool, but the, the, the cauldron of all kinds of people around. So that's all, that's all it is. It's not anything related to the to the diagnosis. Sage in Boise, Idaho, 14 years old. Welcome to the EIB Network. Hello. Hello. Thank you for taking the call, Mr. Umbaugh. Thank you for all the great work you do for this country, and congratulations on your award. Thank you, sir, very much. I know it's a lot. It really is. Yeah. Okay, so my question was, who do you really think has a chance for the Dems to get nominated? 
Um, we can't get nominated because they don't really have anybody. I've heard Biden, but really, even then, you know, he came fourth in, in the caucus. It isn't. It isn't going to be. But let's just get this out of the way. It's not going to be Biden. It was never going to be Biden. If impeachment took anybody out, it's Biden. The impeachment made public the story of plugs and his kid in Ukraine. The media doesn't think anybody's smart enough to pick up on it. They think they've discredited Trump enough and Colonel Vindman and all these people and the whistleblower. But believe me, people fully... This guy, Biden, has run for president how many times? He's a plagiarist, for crying out loud. Ever heard of Neil Kinnock? Biden has never survived a first round in a presidential primary, and he's not going to now when he's 104 years old. Look, I'm trying to be nice here. For I, I, Look, I... I it, it's easy to be dismissive here, but but plugs. Does next one does Focahontas uh, have a chance? I don't know. I it's like asking if Mayor Pete has a chance. I I know I made Mayor Pete. I'm the reason. I'm the reason Mayor Pete's out there. I had Brett Bear in town. This is, what, 2020, so it would have been, I guess, two years ago. Brett Bear's in town for member guest golf tournament. He won. There's a there's a CNN town hall on Saturday night. He says, we got to watch. I said, the last thing I wanted to watch these clowns? I got to watch it, Rush. I'm chief anchor at Fox News. I got to watch. I said, okay. So we had Mayor Pete for one hour, and then somebody else followed for the Tulsi Gabbard. And I thought, you know, this Mayor Pete guy, he comes across as a little bit more real than uh, some of these other people did. So I came here the next, the following Monday, and I made the observation that Mayor Pete may be somebody got to keep your eye on. And Snurdly's been upset with me ever since it happened, because Snurdly thinks I'm the reason Mayor Pete's even on the radar. And it's probably true. It's probably true. But I don't think... What? Did, no, I didn't see that. Tulsi Gabbard, I did not see that. I, I, I shouldn't admit that. Uh, I haven't. Tulsi Gabbard sent. No. Classy as I didn't. I didn't. Well, you know, I've never ripped Tulsi. And I've defended her. Hillary, the Democrats, calling her a Russian agent. I mean, how cockamamie. But that's. Uh, that's. That's. Nice to know. She's from Hawaii where there's a resolution. City council passed a resolution to arrest me if I'm seen in public in Honolulu because something I said five years ago. I forget what it is. So if that happened, I'd call Tulsi. I said, can you handle this for She, I'm sure. Uh, Who's next? This is uh, Joy in uh, Erie, Colorado. Is that right? Welcome, Joy. Hi. Rush, you are so, so loved, and pray for you every day. Before I get weepy, I'm going to get right to my question. Um, with everything going on in Iowa, they clearly have an agenda. They will have an agenda in November. I'm worried about fraud and the, the clown show that may occur in the election then. What do you think, what can we do? Do we have precincts? Is the Trump team ready to handle this? I think the Trump team is so far ahead of the Democrats and their fraud that they don't even have the slightest. I think Brad Parscale and the Trump reelect team are already running rings around. The, the look, uh, 
Joy, the the evidence of the past four years, and, and it's been the case that everybody thinks that Democrats never lose, that they're smart, that their strategy is always a step ahead of us. Oh, my God. We're waiting for the next scandal. In fact, aren't you? Are you waiting for some new scandal to drop that Schiff claims he's just discovered? Oh, yeah. Every day. Every yeah. day I know it's coming. But so. has any of it worked? No. No. I still worry about him, you know, I, I worry about him every day, and not that his support will wane or anything like that, I just worry what they're up to, because they're dangerous, and people, you know... They are, indeed, they are, they're completely dangerous, but their arrogance, their upset people don't vote the way they want people to vote. I'm just, I guess... My point to you is, is that none of them are going to outmaneuver or outsmart Trump uh, or his team. Believe me, everybody on Trump's team is very much aware of how these people could run fraudulent voting operations. I mean, look what they did to him. They're the ones that partnered with Russia. They're the ones that put together the steel dossier. He knows everything they're capable of. But unlike other Republicans, Donald Trump knows how to smoke them. Trump knows how to defeat them. Okay, folks, thank you for being with us. Uh, Appreciate it more than you'll ever know. Uh, Running out of ways to say so, but never doubt it. Have a great weekend, and we'll be back here on Monday. Revved and ready to light it up. (laughs) 